History Notes. Welcome to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. History Notes reports on the people, places, monuments, and events that have shaped our society. Sometimes we examine what has occurred long ago, and at times we look at history happening now. Grab a pad, a pen, or a digital device and get engaged with History Notes. Welcome to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. I'm Rodney Dawson, Curator of Education, and we're here for a brand new season of History Notes. And it's March, and it's otherwise known as Women's History Month. So we decided we'd spot women in the media since we have so many impactful women uh, in the media in our triad area. And took advantage and reached out and spoke to some folks at our flagship station, WFMY. And we got a hold of Mo on the go, Monique <laughs> Robinson, <laughs> all the way from New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> Which part of New Jersey? Central Jersey. You got to help me out. So like Rutgers, a lot of people are okay. familiar with the school of Rutgers. So it's Rutgers University. Got you. Is that Newark too? That's a little bit further north, different okay. territory. Not too, too far away. I mean, the state's but so big, but. Definitely a different neck of the woods. Families from New Jersey, dad's side. Mm-hmm. But they live in East Orange, Newark area, Plainfield, that kind of thing. Plainfield isn't far. Okay. Plainfield isn't far, but still not the same kind of area. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on, his- on History Notes. Yes, I'm happy to be here. You know, I love connecting with the community. This is fun. It is. <laughs> and, and we're at Press Play Studios. Everybody walks in. They talk. They remark about how clean and it smells good. Mm-hmm. And uh, just very conducive environment for talk. Mm-hmm. So we appreciate uh, Press Play and, and Brody and, and all the good stuff. So if you have any uh, podcast needs, any kind of media needs, just check them out. And coming from New Jersey, I know a little bit about the state, you know, <laughs> but I'm from High Point, North Carolina. What's it like growing up in New Jersey? Well, it's hard to believe, but imagine, you know, being in a classroom where you have Asian Americans, you have Black people, you have Hispanics. I mean, you have every single room that I've been in growing up always included a diverse group of people. I mean, even their foods. I mean, you have Jamaican spots. You have uh, pizza places around the corner. You have those bagel places where they have a lot of, just we have a lot of Jewish people who live in our area. So, I mean, growing up, I was always around differences. And then as I grew older and differences didn't follow me wherever I went, that's when I kind of started to learn what the real world was like. Gotcha. You know, my I, I don't know if I shared this story with you because you did a you featured us partly in a series you're doing. You do the Mall on the Go series. We'll talk about it later. But so I may have told you the story. My father's from Jersey. He's since passed, but he the- he he couldn't say certain words. He couldn't say through. Mm-hmm. He had to say true. Or if it's <laughs> you say you go tree lights down. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, Daddy, where'd you pick that up? And he said, being in Jersey, you have a conglomerate of people and you pick up dialects and accents from everybody. Mm-hmm. And then he took me to his dentist office and everybody in there at the time, I thought they were speaking Spanish, mm-hmm. Portuguese. It was called the Iron District. Mm-hmm. And, and this is in Newark. And so everybody there is from Brazil, Portugal, around that area. But it was just amazing. So I get what you're saying, just to be able to walk and see folks from all walks of life. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a foodie. Mm-hmm. So like... 
you just have so much different types of food. Like when you immediately spoke of Portuguese food, like everybody at least once a week has some type of Portuguese food that they'll eat. Like no matter what dis- what race you are, mm-hmm. you'll eat Portuguese food because we have Portuguese people, people who are from that descent who have that types of food. That's why I was mentioning the Jamaican food. So I'm like, when I came down to the South and we didn't have all those different types of food, I was like, dang, I need to go back home. <laughs> well, don't leave us too soon. We'll get you, uh, uh, we'll get you to get them to ship us some food or something. <laughs> You know, and I, I sent you some questions, and one of them, I've been asking everybody that sat in this chair, including one of your colleagues, Tanya Rivera. Mm-hmm. Well, she didn't. We did it Zoom, but it was great. Had a wonderful conversation. Hope we can do the same here today, and I'm sure we will. Paint the picture of what makes Mo, Mo, what makes Monique, Monique. And, you know, a lot of times it's people in your life. So I'm wondering if, if you think back, whom or who was instrumental in your life that gave you characteristics, characteristics that show up when you're in front of the camera? Most certainly the first person that comes to mind is my grandma. Growing up, I actually used to do oratorical competitions. She was the one that got me into that. She was a teacher. And so on the side, though, she would teach kids how to publicly speak. And so I would, you know, learn oratory skills. I mean, she was always theatrical. She would bring out, you know, she would have you A, B, and like practice saying and speaking and not being afraid to just be the one in the front of the stage. And so even though I'm I'm on television, and a lot of times actually a lot of my coworkers and peers, they don't like the engaging with the people because right. they get nervous. But for me, the engagement with the people is what I feed off of what I love because growing up, that's what I always did. I fed off the energy of people by when I spoke. And so that's what I started from. My grandma taught me that. Even to this day, my grandma's, you meet my grandma, she's just, she's just a stage in herself. She just is one that captivates the room. She teaches you the art of speaking and how you can slow down, but then you can and lower your voice and then you could speed mm-hmm. up and talk really fast. And, you know, she really just taught me that growing up as a kid. What about, you know, when I, I worked in radio for a time and, you know, when I was in radio, at first you had to have this stately sounded voice. But then it became just be natural. Mm. So what did your grandmother teach you about that, about your voice? Did she, did she, I know she's teaching you how to use inflections and mm-hmm. tones and whatnot, but did she teach you to project or did you tell me, tell me more? Um, I think I definitely learned how to project because oftentimes I'd be on a stage where I wouldn't be like standing there with the microphone. I'd be speaking in front of a crowd and I'd have to talk and I'd have to project. So she would teach me that. I also cheerleaded for... Mm. 14 years, which is yelling and projecting is just a thing I do. But yeah, she taught me that. I think the what you said about being natural, I think for so long, especially desiring to be in the news industry, I always was trying to match other people's voices, other people's, mm. the way that they delivered, whether that's the way they, they moved their body when they were on air with, you know, doing the green screen because I do meteorology or whatever have you. But she really taught me the nature of just like being you. Okay. And accepting you. So when I speak, I don't feel as though my voice is changing. I'm really just being me and delivering it the way I feel is most appropriate. Uh, that makes sense. It does, because you sound just like you do on the news. You sound like that right now. Mm-hmm. And you sounded like that when we would talk off mic or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not in front of a camera or something. So, yeah. And that's good. That's really good. That's a skill in, in and of itself. Broadcasting and then I hope I don't have this question later because I'm going out of order, but it's That's okay. Okay. <laughs> Being a meteorologist, mm-hmm. what makes one grow up and say, "That's what I want to do"? I want to jump in front of hurricanes and 
12 inch you know foot of snow and all that kind of stuff what made what 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 about that appeal to you it's funny because i have a series on my own platform where i interview meteorologists once a week and i ask them that same question why do you want to be a meteorologist they always say you know when i was younger i watched this movie i chased mm-hmm. storms i saw some clouds i thought were interesting and i was like hey i want to you know study that more None of those stories are mine. In fact, I wanted to be the next Oprah as a kid. I wanted to have my talk show. I love interviewing people. I love learning about people. That's all I wanted to do. And so when I went to college, that was my dream. I went to University of Maryland studying journalism. They're a big journalism school. They're right near D.C. They produce amazing journalists. Were they an ACC school when you were there? No. No. (laughs) We were big dead. We kind of casted them out. (laughs) But yes, I wanted to do journalism. And so my, I took a, a journalism course in my f- second half of my freshman year, and my professor told me that he saw no potential in me. And so, I mean, there's so much to that story, but I was in school for, growing up in Jersey for 18 years, and then I go to college, a new place, a new state, a new territory. I'm already starting to adjust to this newness, and then I have a professor who tells me he sees no potential in me. It was kind of like, it could have been the turning point to just make me just Oh, pay. he said no potential. Oh, I missed that no part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it could have deterred me to go back home. But, you know, I was like, you know, let me just stick it out one more semester. Because it was even hard adjusting to the culture, new mm-hmm. state, you know, friends. It was new. And so I was like, I'll just stick it out one more semester, see what it's like. I had picked a random weather and climate elective course. just, And when I started learning about the weather, learning about how lightning worked, wind, I was get get back into science and math, which I do love. Mm. I was like, well, this is fun. Like, I could do this. And no one at the university had ever done that. And University of Maryland's 200-plus history had ever dual degreed in broadcast journalism and atmospheric and oceanic science. I was the first student to do that. And so that's kind of how it spiraled into my broadcast meteorology track. From that teacher telling me he saw no potential in me to me realizing I do have potential here and maybe not in the space that you have always seen it. Right. But I've created that door for myself. You know, and I'm working on a another, I don't know if I'm going to call it a podcast, about a student, a former student of mine and how he never let anyone define <laughs> his future. And it sounds like you're doing that too. And it allows you to be the first. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a lot of firsts. You just alluded to, or you talked about the first to have that dual major. Mm-hmm. And then you have a couple more firsts, you know, first African-American meteorologist at WWAY. Right. And you received awards in your first year. Yeah. And you're starting program. I'm sure you're going to start, well, you got a podcast, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure you're going to start other programs. You worked at the, uh, what was it, the the Academy in Wilmington? The Girls Leadership Academy of Wilmington. All right. Were you the first to do that too? I know I was the first student, I mean, the first employee to work there. I mean, the school had only been around for a couple of years. What, for, I mean, so that school... They started girls at sixth grade, and every year they add a new class. So by the time I started working there, they only were at eighth grade. So they hadn't been around for right. long. So, so but these ideas, are they, they're just innovate, innovative ideas that just come to your head, and you say, do you not think about, how am I trying to ask this? Do you not think about the obstacles that may prevent you from doing it? Like mm-hmm. you may not have the time, or you may not have the resources, or do you just think, that's an idea, I'm going to explore it? Mm-hmm. I've evolved into just chasing after the the ideas that I have. As I've grown into more self-awareness that I am good at these things and and I'm more confident in my skills, I've been able to not hesitate. I think when you're not as confident, you don't have your self-awareness to know that what you're going to produce is good. 
you may hesitate, especially with social media right. and the culture that we're in. I, so another sidebar, I started 2018, started saying like posting positive messages on my social media. People my age, I'm 26. People my age back then, I was not 26, 20, 23. Nobody my age was doing stuff like that. Posting positive messages on social media. Is that grandma? What? Is that coming from grandma? I feel like that was just coming from my faith. I would do that in my private time. And so I was like, you know, I want to share what I'm doing in my private time because it's been successful in my life to try to help other people. Right. So I started doing that. And now I look back and I'm like, if I never started doing that, there's so many connections and so many doors that have been opened because of that. My job I even have here, they saw that. They loved that. And they wanted me because they saw that I was being personable on my social media. They saw I was being a natural beyond that. But I hesitated for a while to do that. Even now that I interview meteorologists, I had that idea for three years. Mm-hmm. And now, like this past week, I interviewed Samora Theodore. She's a meteorologist in Washington, D.C., this upcoming weekend, I'm interviewing Tevin Wooten, who's a meteorologist with the Weather Channel. I have all these people that I'm just talking to. Mm-hmm. But I sat on that idea for so long. But it wasn't until I walked into my confidence where I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter what people think. I'm just going to do it because I know that there's a reason why God planted those seeds of ideas right. in me. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to happen right then. Yeah. You know, it could be something that, you know, he's planted it for you to prepare for later. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I see that. And that's good. And. We talked to Tanya Rivera, been there. She just hit 20 years or 21 years. I think our anniversary was last month or mm-hmm. this month, sometime in February. So 20 years. You've been there approaching a year. Yeah. How helpful have they been, the staff and your, your colleagues and, and leadership there at, at WFMY is incorporating you into uh, Greensboro? I think they've been helpful in just allowing me to do me and not restrict me. I think if I had a lot of pushback on my ideas, pushbacks on the, the accomplishments and like the opportunities that I have, like even doing this podcast to say, hey, Monique, yeah, go do it. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. it's okay for me to speak and be myself and be free and, you know, even embracing my natural hair. Like I remember for a black woman just in media, you know, that's something that is not always been accepted. And so for me, when I walk into work and my boss is like, your hair, I love it. You know what I'm saying? Or, and I know it sounds for some people that might sound crazy, but like for a black woman to be able to have her hair embraced and just everything about me being embraced, like the real parts of me, mm-hmm. makes me feel just comfortable doing my job. It's empowering. Mm-hmm. And, and it's noticed too. I know that's the first thing I noticed when I saw you, saw you on the air. And I was like, well, okay, flagship station's doing that thing. <laughs> but I wasn't yeah. like that when I was at my old station. Uh-huh. So, I was in Wilmington at WWE mm-hmm. while I was stationed at previously work. I didn't work for a year. Okay. Then I got hired here. I took some time off. And through that time off, I developed my confidence in knowing that, like, when I go to my next place, I'm not trying to be this person with the wig on that talks a certain way, moves a certain way, just because that's the way that people have traditionally shown it. I'm going to be me. And wherever I go next, I want them to value all the parts of me. And so... That's why I wear me. All right, we need to go ahead and get that book. You know, <laughs> I'm uh, sitting here looking at the questions. I'm sure somewhere in these questions, I'm going to ask you uh, the advice you need to give to an aspiring journalist or whatnot. But you're you're already dropping those dimes now, those mm-hmm. jewels now. So 
Uh, you said a lot of things. I should have written them down, but, you know, listen throughout. She's, she's giving you the lessons. <laughs> you did talk about Wilmington, you know, so I, I like Wilmington. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I used to, my wife and I vacationed there a lot. Mm-hmm. And but to work in Wilmington, I used to live in South Carolina, too, when I worked in radio. Mm. And so when the storms came, that was mm-hmm. big news, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they. What's it like working in Wilmington and then you got a hurricane? Well, or po- a possible storm that may develop into a tropical storm and or into a hurricane that you got to watch when it comes around the horn of Africa or something. <laughs> What's that like? I can't tell you the exact. I don't have the pain and the feeling anymore, but I could tell you that it was tough times. My first hurricane season, it was 2018. I had just been hired two months prior. My first real job, first real job out of mm-hmm. college. I'm on my own. Living in this new place and a major hurricane is headed. I mean, the path is like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like this or something. It's like, this is where you live and it's coming right to you. So I'm like, and I'm looking and I'm studying. I'm like, so, you know, I'm new to this thing. Like, do we leave work? Do we stay here? Mm -hmm. Like, what's what's the next steps? Like, what if we get flooded here? You know, do we stay on the air? Like, how does, I have so many questions. And then my mom's back home looking at the news and like, I don't know, Monique, if you want to just come on back. And I've only been here for two months. I'm like, but this is my career. Like, this is what I chose. This is like literally walking away at the part where you're supposed to shine. Right. And so I recall, like, I had just unpacked my apartment. I I packed everything right back up because I didn't know because at the time, I mean, it dwindled down. It wasn't a major hurricane, but at the Mm. time I was like, I don't know. I don't want any of my stuff. I just unpacked it. Let me just pack it all back up. So I literally packed everything back up and I'm just like, I look out, I I took a break from packing. I look out the window. My car is the only car (laughs) in the parking lot at the apartment complex. And I'm just like, Jesus, why is this happening? Like, I waited so long for a job. I'm finally here. Why? And so... um, Nobody told you. I'm like, (laughs) what in the world? And so of all time for this to happen. But that experience taught me so much about this industry. It showed me what it's like to love because the community was just like, I mean, until you're, it's one thing you watch those stories about communities and stuff Mm -hmm. that you're not in, but in neighborhoods and areas where you live, where you drive through, where you're seeing people's homes completely destroyed. I mean, like flood, I was on a John boat with a family to see the damage and the water was just as high to the second story of people's homes. Wow. We were navigating the road, looking down into the water to try to see the street signs. We couldn't see the street signs because they were below us. Right. Um, we were, our bottom of our boat was hitting the tops of mailboxes. And this is the area where I was occasionally driving. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this is some faraway area. This is areas where I live, where right. I was with people that I know. And so, you know, from even the time I left there, I remember I walked in Walmart. Two years later, a woman comes to me. You're Monique Robinson. You know, I've always wanted to bump into you and tell you how I loved how you told, you know, and broke down and explained what hurricanes do because I had no clue. I just moved here. And, you know, she was just telling me this. I'm like, but that was two years ago, but it still impact people today. So living in Wilmington really taught me a lot. My second hurricane season, I was there. I had started my master's program. I remember sleeping on the floor, submitting homework assignments and then jumping on the air and going and telling the weather. So, yeah, it was crazy living over there. <laughs> and, you know, we, we've talked to some some other wonderful women in media here, and you're all almost saying the same thing, that you live here 
you know, so it's, you reporting on a community that you're mm-hmm. invested in. Yeah. And so it's not a, a foreign thing, you yeah. know, so that's good. You know, I'm going to try to put in a break here. And when we come back, I want to ask you about, you know, your programs where you're mentoring youth and uh, Chasing Rainbows. I want you to tell us about that, too. Okay. I think that's fascinating. And then a couple other things. And then, of course, we're going to talk about more on the go. Yes. All right. <laughs> so we're here with uh, Monique Robinson, New Jersey. You don't have that New Jersey accent, though. I had to take it out working uh, in news. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Monique Robinson here on History Notes. I'm Rodney Dawson. We'll be, we'll be back right after this. You've been listening to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. To learn more about this podcast and many more, visit our website at www.greensborohistory.org. Now let's listen in to History Notes. Welcome back. Rodney Dawson, History Notes is the podcast. Please check us out. Uh, you can, anywhere you get your podcast, also uh, you can go to our website, greensborohistory.org. You hit the Discover and Learn tab at the top. I believe it's on the top left, and you see all the podcasts we've ever done. You know we did one with uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson? Wow. And guess what? I just landed one with, I'm going to see if y'all know the name. Brody, we're going to do this via Zoom with Sandra Cisneros. Who's that? She's an author, very renowned author. I don't know. I think she's still in New York. But uh, anyway, publisher just emailed me. It's a go. She's going to be featured on our series, too. And uh, so I was super excited. Long as you said. Yes, too. <laughs> uh, so we're, but we're here with Monique Robinson from WFMY. Been there eight, nine months. What are we talking about? Yeah, since last June. Since last June. And we talked about how grandmas helped shape your life and, you know, instilled some, some qualities in you that, that show up in the air, on the air. I talked about the commitment it takes. And uh, later on, I want to ask you about do we need more women and where do we need them in the industry? Mm. Okay, I don't think I sent that as a question, so I want to kind of prep you for that. But mentoring youth, you know, you, 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 we talked about how you taught at the Girls Leadership Academy in Wilmington. So give us some details about why, about that program and what it was like, and then why do you do it? I remember um, sitting in a classroom, and I asked the girls, what do you want to be? It's all-girls school, so I asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they all looked at me with uh, blank faces. And one of the girls said, well, I kind of just want to get an apartment. And I mean, these are sixth graders, seventh graders. Mm -hmm. And I'm like thinking to myself, that's it. Like, I'm like, are these kids really serious? And they're seriously looking at me like no one said doctor. No one said even nurse. You know, no one said jobs. And I wrote about that when I was applying to my master's program. And I said, this is why I need to go back to school to educate more people and make them see the importance of growing up and aspiring to be something. Because that was really just a painful experience to be in a room like that. And I mean, this school is full of all underrepresented communities. So I'm seeing Black faces, Hispanic faces, you know people from low-income backgrounds. And this is, this is only one classroom in America that I happen to be in. What about all of those other rooms that are just like this one with more faces, men and women who have no aspirations? And so that's why I learned that, like, I don't need to wait till I'm 40 years old or 50 years old to start helping mentor youth. I can start right now. Right. I was trying, going, trying to look it up right quick. <laughs> I, same reason I went back to school. I taught school, and then they had me, I was what you call a behavior support 
specialist. So I worked with kids that I worked always at a Title I school. And predominantly they were minority schools, but I've, I even worked at a Title I school that was predominantly white. But as I was at this school, with my first venture into it, I dealt with kids that had to be exceptional children or EC, but they had behaviors that were preventing them from remaining in classrooms. And so from time to time, they said, man, we need you to run the ISS, in-school suspension. And I said, okay. And the teachers were supposed to uh, send work, but they would be so bogged down and they didn't send the work. So I had to start creating work for myself. And we had to spend some grant money and I wrote the proposal for the grant. They ended up sending me like 20 iPads. I got money to buy 20 iPads for the program, for my EC program. And I had these students in there and these weren't EC kids, but I was running the ISS and I had these students in there and I wrote down the assignment that I wanted them to do. I had written it down and they said, oh, Mr. Dawson, we don't want to do that. But when I said, okay, and I pulled out the iPads. I said, this is what I need you to use to research. I had them, you know, because these are digital natives we're, right. we're dealing with now. And I said, man, technology, you get them at hello. Yeah. And I said, I wonder if there's a degree for that. Mm. And so that's when I went back and got my instructional technology degree and currently working on my doctorate, but I got an EDS in educational leadership. And it speaks to the very same thing that you're, that you're stating. And I can't remember it offhand, but you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Mm. It's a chart, like a triangular chart. And you have your basic needs and they're tiered. So you have your basic needs and then the second tier, third tier, all the way up to the top. And the top could be, I want a dog or something. You know, I'm making it up. But the basic needs are like food and shelter mm -hmm. and safety. Until you have that, mm -hmm. you're not worried about anything else. Right. So if your food and shelter needs aren't met, mm -hmm. you're not even thinking about what I'm going to aspire to be. Right. And that's what a lot of my kids were dealing with. Right. And so you're helping them see past that. Mm -hmm. So I commend you for that. But um, there's a lot of studies that go into what you just uh, articulated. So... Did you fully answer the question? Did I cut you off? No, no, no. You, you. I answered. I think okay. I did. You did. You did. I just want to make sure. So, what's what's the thing with uh, chasing rainbows? So, I mentioned previously how I was. I stopped working in Wilmington in 2018. This uh, 2020, excuse me. That's when COVID hit, and my contract was up, and I was kind of like, I know I don't want to stay here. Not because I don't love the people, not because I don't love the community, because I, but I know that it's time for me to grow. You know, when you get mm -hmm. too comfortable, that means it's time for you to go. Talk about market size. I talked about this earlier, but I know <laughs> back in radio, we were like market 49 or something mm -hmm. like the triad. Yeah. So Wilmington, what side? Out of the top 100 markets, where is Wilmington? Is it? Wilmington is 127. Okay. And then this is now 47. Okay. So I believe it's 47, the latest update. So I made a significant jump, mm -hmm. but it took me a year of waiting. Gotcha. <laughs> to get there but yeah so I was in Wilmington I thought you know it was my time to go and grow and so with COVID a lot of companies weren't hiring that was like when COVID kind of still was in the beginning stages and everybody was kind of like we don't know if we want to hire we don't know how long this is going to last so I was like mm. you know what I'm going to go home I'm still in my master's program I just do my homework sit on the side and do nothing for a little bit and so I kept applying, though, but I wasn't, like, too, too serious. I kept applying. But while I was home, people were saying, like, where's that stuff you were doing back in Wilmington? Like, I used to, I started where I interviewed meteorologists. I had a platform. I had called it Chasing Rainbows, but I had all African-American women meteorologists. And I let students, high schoolers, elementary school, college students, teachers who wanted to join in and ask these women questions about their journey, about their job. I had Brittany Bell. She's currently a meteorologist in New York at ABC. I have I had Chicago, Aisha Scott, who's currently in Chicago at NBC. I had um, 
Rochelle Peart. She's a meteorologist currently in Connecticut. And so I had them all on and I just had people asking questions. Mm-hmm. So after I did the first one, people were like, well, we want more. And so I was like, well, you know what? I guess I can kind of do it. I'm kind of at home right now. So then I started the LLC with it and then I did it again. And I had men. I invited some meteorologist men that I had known on. Okay. And we kind of had discussion with that. And so I, I have big dreams and stuff to expand it with working and then finishing my master's program. It had to, you know, come a little bit down. But it's still something that I've been passionate about and I have ideas and things I want to do with it. You ever want to teach again or teach communications or meteorology? That is my, like, always been my, oh, you know, when this is done and over with, I always teach. I always want to go back and be a teacher, be a professor. I've explored that often. I was a TA a lot of times in college. I was a TA for many courses. Um, now tell us what a TA is for those that don't know. Oh, a teaching assistant. Yeah. So I would actually teach some classes. I graded a lot of homework assignments for kids. I would have office hours to teach kids some lessons and stuff okay. like that. All right. And so you, you're in Greensboro now, like we said. And what's been some joys about being here? Finding the love of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's really crazy. So we actually—he's from the east. Is he from here? From no. South? Is he southern? Well, he we do you call Maryland southern? No. <laughs> no. We we debate about that too. But he actually went to University of Maryland. We kind of knew each other, seen each other here and there, but it wasn't until we both moved here. He had been here in Greensboro. I was working in Wilmington. He knew that I was there, but when I came here, he was Elon lost. Mm-hmm. He graduated and everything now, but he was studying law, and we were both met here, and so it's been a beautiful thing. Okay, I was going to say it's that Southern talk game that no, we have. No, no, no. <laughs> Can't claim that. But that's all right. Good news on that. Okay, and I'm going to say the most unpleasant thing is not enough diversity in the food choices. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm saying, like, the food, I'm like, even just, like, my soul food, like, some stuff. I mean, I have a few places I've tried and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like the food trucks are kind of, like, where you can kind of get some good food right. when it comes to soul food and stuff like that. But beyond that, I'm like. Yeah, you, you miss it. Yeah, I get yeah. you. I know when I was up in Jersey, they, they didn't call them. Lord, now I can't remember. We call them here. We don't call them like here in Philly. They call them hoagies or oh, Philly stuff? cheese. Like no, that was another. I can't remember. But anyway, there was a vendor there and my father knew him. And it was an Italian guy. Mm-hmm. He had a thick accent. <laughs> and my dad was like, we got to go here and get a, I wish I could remember what they call him, but we call him something different here. But it was basically like a sub. It's a sub, but it's mm-hmm. basically, a, he said, Italian something. And my dad told him, he said, this is my son. He's from North Carolina. You know, he's just visiting me here. And the guy said, what's your address? And so I'm giving him my address, you know, a little reluctantly. How about he shipped me? He frozen they were frozen but shipped me a dozen of the uh, the subs whatever yeah whatever yeah. they called it back then yeah and i'm like oh good looking good looking but yeah just that variety of food yeah, yeah it was good and like you say it was just you walk the street and you can taste taste the world yeah essentially and i'm i'm, I'm my on my bucket list is to go to chicago when they have i think it's called a taste test or something like that mm. they do this big food testing thing in Chicago and I hear, I hear that's tremendous. So that I'm, sounds fun. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. I want to try Chicago pizza. We were talking, it's National Pizza Day was yesterday. We were talking about pizza at work and everything and I'm like, I want to try, I've never had Chicago style pizza. The oh, yeah. dish? I haven't either. Yeah, and that's on the list too when I go to Chicago. 
I got a friend of mine who's uh, moved up there now, so he's giving me a reason. I got a place to stay, so <laughs> that'll cut down on the cost. You like to travel all the time, I see. Yeah. So that's a, that's why your series is appropriately named Mo on the Go. <laughs> yes, good segue there. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I move around a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't sit still. All right. So tell us about Mo on the Go. So it it's a series that I've d- done with WFMY where I just highlight phenomenal women in a triad in fields of STEM. So that's what I've been doing since I've been here. All right. You enjoyed it? I love being in the community. Did you start it as soon as you got here? Because you got quite a few episodes. Yeah. So it took a, a minute to kind of get into it because with COVID, we kind of were kind of like, should how should we go about doing mm-hmm. it? But once I, I think like two months in or three months, we started making the commercials for it. We started to kind of fine tune the details of how this, it was going to go. Then I was able to get into it. I've been doing it for a while now. Okay. Is it on air, online, or both? Both. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And when do, when do you feature it? It every Wednesday at four. Okay. All right. And now as a meteorologist, I always have to say that word slowly. <laughs> All right. As an African-American meteorologist or an African-American female meteorologist in the industry, is that a rarity? Do we need to see more of it? What's the status? Well, 2% of meteorologists are African-American. That's the same in teaching. 2% males are African-American males in teaching, but go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, in general, you know, most people, if you say, oh, do you know a black meteorologist? They'll say Al Roker. Or they may name somebody else, but most people don't know black meteorologists, period. Black female, it gets even slimmer. People will be thinking for a while. So it's definitely not something that's potent. We, I am the vice chair so National Association of Black Journalists, mm. I'm the vice chair of the Weather and Climate Task Force. So I kind of lead efforts on trying to cultivate more black faces on television and stuff. But there's not a lot of us. Uh, and how do you women in general, where do we need more of them and, and where? You know, maybe not necessarily in front of the camera, but where can we have more that can make those kind of changes or even the stories that we cover? I think there needs to be more women, especially black women, in producer roles. Producers are kind of the ones that put the show together behind the scenes. They kind of choose what content is being aired. I also think there needs to be more women in engineering when it comes to news because they're the ones that are setting the lighting. There's the They're the ones that kind of just making sure you look and sound good. Mm-hmm. And not saying, obviously, any engineer can do those skills, but my skin color and my other shades of melanin women friends and peers in this industry need lighting that is much different than that of someone with none okay i didn't i didn't realize that so what about across the board just not uh you're just saying minority period mm-hmm. okay well and and i think the more diversity in voices you have in putting mm-hmm. stories content together the more diversity diverse it comes off you know Mm -hmm. like we'll have discussions i know black history month you know we were discussing about the fashion of black history like the evolution of fashion and the relevance of fashion to tell black history and some of my co-workers and peers did not realize that clothing was such an instrumental part in giving a voice to black people when they could not speak Mm. and for me i'm like Duh. But for some people, it's like a big question mark. They don't know. 
So I think when you have more people behind the scenes that are putting those stories together, they put those stories in the forefront. Right. If you're not there, you don't know. You wouldn't even think twice about putting it there. Right. You need different perspectives. I'll say lenses. If you're looking at something from one lens, then that's all you're ever going to get. Right. And you're competing, competing in a global society. So mm-hmm. you need as many people at the table right. uh, that are conscious and capable as you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I agree there. Even in my field, there's very few. When I was teaching, matter of fact, my, my dissertation is on the underrepresentation of the black male K-12 educator in the triad whenever I finish that thing. But even in the museum field, I, did, I may have shared this on the podcast before, but I didn't realize it until last year, almost two years ago, that I was the first black person to hold the position at the museum. Oh, and wow. we'll reach 100 years in two years. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's just, it's, it's needed. It's needed and it was timely. We're here recording this in February of 2022 and you hear what's going on in the NFL now mm-hmm. uh, about black head coaches and just more, more minority representation period yeah. so what advice would you give someone that was in that's in your position that you were in when you were in school and grandmother was making you project <laughs> and maybe they say i want to do what monique does i want to do what tanya rivera does you know and sandra hughes or cynthia cindy farmer anybody or even the males somebody wants to come into this business what advice would you give there's something that you've learned. I, you know, I know I can say the cliche of uh, just read or explore the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Something that something that you that's driven you to continue to do this. Those cliches have a lot of truth in them, but I would say one that I would just kind of put a twist to is just listen to the wise side of you, because oftentimes you have ideas, you have passions, you have dreams, you have desires. That's meant for you to do it. Mm -hmm. But then you have two sides in your brain where one side is like, well, should I do it? Am I good at it? Did it ask all these negative questions? And there's a wise side of you and says, hey, you know what? You're more than capable of achieving it. You're more than capable of doing it. Go for it. So I would say listen to the wise side of you. Okay. I'm going to get you out of here on two more questions. Mm -hmm. All right. Rapid response on this one. I sent them to you earlier. I shouldn't have because you probably (laughs) thought about the answers. I glazed through. All right. (laughs) All right, Brody, help me keep time. Ten seconds. If you weren't a meteorologist, what would you be doing? Teaching. Cool. What team do you root for? Mississippi State University or Maryland? Oh, Maryland. Or I didn't finish. Or Franklin High School. Oh, I'm a warrior for life. I'm a warrior for life. Franklin High School. (laughs) Okay. And what's been your favorite mo-on-the-go feature? Be careful how you answer that. Because remember, you have some that you're still working on. <laughs> I would say Rosie. Okay. I, I was, she, she included us in one that she's working on. <laughs> I was trying to tell you, you're supposed to say, what have we did at the museum? <laughs> okay, but Rosie. Yeah. Say, quickly, what's Rosie? She was a 19, she's a 19-year-old. Um, she just graduated Lexington High School, and she's the first machine operating apprentice at Lexington a program down in Lexington. She wanted to go to Winston-Salem mm-hmm. and with all the rest of her friends, but she was like, you know what? If I'm an apprentice, I can learn a skill and go to school at the same time. All right. All right. Where can we keep up with you? Uh, follow me on social media. My mm-hmm. Instagram, Monique, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E-D, Robinson, R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. Twitter, M-D Robinson TV. Facebook, meteorologist, Monique Robinson. Monique, this has been fun. I hope you've had fun. Yes. Thank okay. you. Thank you for joining us. This has been Monique Robinson. You can check her out. Uh, she just gave her social media handles, but you can also see her on WFMY 
And I'm sure we're going to be seeing many platforms coming from you in the future. And hopefully one day we'll see you in the classroom teaching. Thank All right. You. Maybe we can work on some programs together. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's Rodney Dawson, History Notes. You can check us out at the museum. Our hours are closed on Monday, but Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Sunday, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Go online at www.greensborohistory.org or just give us a call and uh, check us out. But we appreciate you for listening to this edition of History Notes. You've been listening to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. Just as you visit it for this podcast, continue to go to www.greensborohistory.org and select the Discover and Learn tab to listen again or learn more about many other subjects. We also invite you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please stop by the museum when you can. We're located at 130 Summit Avenue, Greensboro. Hours vary, so visit our website or call 336-373-2043 for details. Once again, thank you, and keep tuning in to History Notes.